Hey, this is Dr. Matt Chalmers, and you're listening to the Dr. Chalmers Podcast. We'll be covering how the body actually works so we can fix the things no one else can. Hey, this is Dr. Chalmers. Uh, I wanted to come and touch on this erythritol thing real quick because people are making real bad assumptions about something that's actually really um, So the, the issue with erythritol is that the reason that they see it in people's blood, and I'm going to have all of this research in the show notes. So guys, go to the show notes and look at all this because I'm going to read you ex- excerpts from it. But all the research I'm talking about is going to be in the show notes. What they were ended up doing is they did a cohort study. This is what the Nature, the, the Nature article is about. And they found as a correlative issue um, that people who had, they were testing for heart and stroke issues, showed a lot of erythritol in their system. And that was just one of the causative things. It was like, oh, hey, there's a whole lot of this in someone's tissue. That must mean that it's bad. So they were looking for, they were actually looking for anything in patients who are having heart attacks already. So it's not as if they went to a uh, normal group of people, started doing it, and all of a sudden they found that this thing was there, and then people had heart attacks. It was people they, they were monitoring and tracking because of heart, they, they were heart attack patients to begin with, and they were trying to figure out, is there a genetic marker? Is there something that is the same in all of these people that maybe we could find and kind of track later? That's where they found it. And so, like, for instance, the, uh, where they got this, this is the actual study that, from Cleveland Clinic that they were doing. It says, proposed lineage research plan to collect blood from patients undergoing heart catheterization or who have had heart cath within one year coming into outpatient appointment. So these people were already messed up heart-wise and they were trying to figure out all the things that go on when your heart's messed up to try to figure out a way to track it and prevent it. So what they found out was that there was a bunch of erythritol in uh, these people's blood. It was just one of those random things that they weren't really looking for, but they found. That's what sparked this whole thing. Here's the problem. The reason the vast majority of them had this issue was because because they had a sugar diet, not erythritol diet. What happens is that when you get into sugar toxicity, the pentose phosphate pathway, the PPP, stops working right. And it starts breaking down. And when it breaks down, again, to because of long-term glucose problems, sugar problems, diet, sugary diet that problems, it damages this process and it starts producing erythritol to protect your blood vessels, which is why when people had damaged heart and damaged blood vessels, they ended up with a lot of erythritol in their system. Their body was making it as a byproduct of this broken chemistry. So when we talk about inflammation, this is exactly what we're talking about. Inflammation is when biochemistry goes awry and it's not working the way it's supposed to. When you break the pentose phosphate pathway or you over, you over glucose this, you put way too much glucose phosphate in this, what ends up happening is it starts spooling off all these other free radicals that are going to damage things. And one of the things it does produce is erythritol, which like I said is cardioprotective. So we shouldn't be banning this. We should be accepting more of it and fixing our sugar diet, which is causing the heart attacks and strokes to begin with. So this is the thing. This is not a causative issue. This is a correlative issue. Yes, a lot of people who had heart attacks and strokes had erythritol in their system. Doesn't mean that's what caused it. So your body naturally produces erythritol. So that's the thing I think people don't understand is like, well, it's a sugar chemical. 
It's not. It's a, something that plants, fruits, things produce. We make it too. And so that's the thing. They found all these heart attack patients. They found the erythritol, and they just decided it was the erythritol that was causing the heart attacks and strokes, not anything else. They didn't, they didn't actually decide that. Everybody said, oh, there's erythritol there, and someone just decided that was what's actually causing the problem, when it's not. I want to read you some other stuff that the research we're going to put out, um, because we've been researching it as a curative measure for diabetes. We've been seeing it really do beneficial things to the heart, to the blood cells, to the capillaries and the fingers and stuff like that. So I'm going to, again, all these are going to be show notes, uh, but I want to kind of go through and read a little bit of this so you can kind of get a grasp on some of it. I know that not everybody's like, I like, I read these for fun and I realize not. Um, so one of them in there is the effects of erythritol on endothelial function in patients with type 2 diabetes. All right, so type 2 diabetes, vast majority of the time, it's because your body got overstimulated by sugars. You're eating too many sugars. We get type 2 diabetes. Keto diets fix this pretty well for people. I'm not going to get into that right now. But the erythritol, what it does when people are eating more erythritol because they're on a keto diet or because their, their doctors had quit eating sugar, and so they started eating erythritol. This is the study on what is exactly is it doing to the blood vessels, to the to the heart and, and that type of thing. So I'll read you the discussion. Our study provides preliminary information about the effects of erythritol on vascular function that may be useful for designing a randomized study. By the way, anytime you're reading research and it says more research needs to be done, understand the reason it says that is either one, we've had one or two studies. But 99% of the time, it's because the people who do the research only get paid when there's research being done. Keep that in mind. Because they always say, well, look at, you know, look at who funded the study. Also understand that every time it says more research needs to be done, recognize that they also are trying to, you know, eat and feed their family. So, but anyway, on other, like I said, designing new studies. Erythrol produce acute and chronic improvements, betterments, not bad, but good improvements on an endothelial dependent dilation in small arteries in the fingertip. All right. So what happens with the blood vessels is we start off with the heart and then it goes into a giant pipe and then it, the pipe gets smaller and smaller and smaller. They all have little names, but the smallest ones are your capillaries. Those are the ones in your fingers when you prick your finger, that type of thing. This is also a big deal for people who have Renaud's. So Raynaud's is those little capillaries close up too much and your fingers are always freezing cold. You can be sweating and have your hands feel like they're in ice water. And that's, this is a big deal for a lot of people. And this is one of those things we see in diabetes as well, because that neuropathy that they're getting in their fingers and their toes is from the capillaries closing up. And so finding ways to dilate those capillaries is a really important thing. This is where I right now use hyperbaric chambers that cost $10,000 if you want one in your house, and they treat this really well, but if we could find cheaper alternatives, that would be great too. So what this is saying is that the erythritol produced uh, positive changes in those small, tiny blood vessels that made them open up and bring more oxygen and blood to the area, which is obviously a good thing. Uh, it says chronic erythritol also improved central aortic stiffness. So what happens with body tissues is when they get less and less healthy, like as they get older and that type of thing, they start stiffening up. And as they stiffen up, that's when they start plaquing more. That's when they start tearing. That's when they, they just don't have the function that you need them to have anymore. So 
you want them to be like a rubber band, like a healthy rubber band where it stretches a little bit and it comes back. It stretches a little bit and it comes back. The issue with this is that these got really stiff. And so when they're really stiff, they're gonna be pushing against each other in the pressure and it gets bad. So we do in fact want aortic stiffness to come down. We want the pliability to come back up. It says in a study using diabetic rats, uh, erythritol treatment for 21 days improved endothelial function and reduced oxidative stress. So for those of you guys who, who listen to some of the stuff I do, reactive oxidative stress is the number one thing we're all pushing back against. That, it's another name for inflammation. It's another name for free radical damage. But the ROS, the reactive oxidative stress, is always something we got to push back against because that's what's killing all of us. And that's, again, chemistry gone awry, right? So, but what this is saying is that in the 21-day study, in 21 days, these diabetic rats, they made diabetic, these diabetic rats, all of their function improved. Their blood vessel functions got better because it was stripping and blocking out the sugar. Uh, in vitro studies suggest that erythritol reduces stress-induced endothelial apoptosis and alters the transcription of genes re re relevant to mitochondrial function. Long sentence, let me stop right there for a second. All right, so in these studies they're looking at, it reduced the, so apoptosis is cell death, and the cell just basically explodes. Think of it that way. So it decreased the damage to the, to the actual blood vessels, the endothelial tissue, from normal overstressed, like excitotoxicity type of stuff where it gets super excited and breaks. It brought, bought that, brought that down, and then it, it altered the transcription of the genes relevant to mitochondrial function. Okay, mitochondria make all of our ATP, the adenosine phosphate. That ATP is what our brain uses, our heart uses, our muscles, everything runs on it. It's called the currency of the body. The more you have, just like money, the more ATP you have, the better off your day is going to be. So you really want to have as much mitochondrial function and ATP production as possible. So this is a good thing. It also talks about antioxidant production. Here's the problem when you, people don't understand coupling-wise. The better your mitochondria function, not only the more ATP they produce, but the far less antioxidant, I mean, free radicals they produce. So the problem with our mitochondria is we're going to make ATP no matter what. So if we have, if we have good conditions, we make a bunch of, we have make 32 ATP per citric acid or Krebs cycle function. If we don't have enough things like CoQ10, if we don't have a CoQ10, we can't do it. We're going to make eight units of ATP and a bunch of bad chemistry, a bunch of inflammation, a bunch of free radicals. Okay. So that's what's going on. So when we increase mitochondrial function, we make it work better. Then that's a really good thing from both a energy and function of the body and a waste product issue. So that's why fixing this is such a good thing. That's why we talk about antioxidant protection because there's just a lot less free radicals to begin with. Um, cell signaling, telling, telling the cells how to do everything. This present study provides novel uh, information about the relevance of the experimental work to humans. So basically what this is saying is that this is a new study. Uh, I'll go back up and see when it was, but it's, it's really helping with pretty much everything. Uh, we observed that erythritol improved the Indopat response uh, Endopat is emerging clinically relevant method for measuring small vessel endothelial function. So again, the blood vessels are healthier with all the new testing they're doing. The response depends on nitric oxide correlates inversely with risk factors, particularly diabetes mellitus. Okay, nitric oxide dilates blood vessels. It's awesome. Lots of bodybuilders use it. I use it. I think it's a fantastic supplement. It's an arginine base most of the time. But it really helps oxygenate the area get waste out and move stuff in. So what we're talking about when it talks about increasing nitric oxide, 
that's one of the reasons that we see for dilation of blood vessels. So that's what they're talking about. Okay, it says, uh, it is notable that there was no change in flow-mediated dilation uh, on the conduit brachial artery. So as the blood pressure is coming up, as the blood vessels are moving, it's not affecting anything on the other side. Our results suggest that acute erythritol consumption might have preferential effect on endothelial function in smaller arteries and diabetic patients. So basically they're saying if you eat the erythritol, it's a really good idea for diabetics because of small vessel capillary blood function. So if you know any diabetics who've been diabetic for a while, you can talk to them and a lot of them, all of them, a lot of them will tell you that their toes and their, their toes and their fingertips lose feeling or go numb or get cold uh, or heal really slowly. Like if they scratch them or cut them, that's what we're talking about. So getting those blood vessels open up is a really, really good idea to get everything going in. Chronic erythritol lowered central pulse pressure and tended to lower uh, carotid femoral pulse wave velocity. These findings suggest reduced stiffness of the central aorta. So all the testing we're showing you, and I'll quit reading this, is they're highly beneficial to blood vessels. They're not causing heart attacks. They very well might be preventing them. When you see it without having a tie to it and saying, oh, why do you have erythritol in your system? Oh, because I ate a pint of ice cream last night. Oh, cool. We know it's cardioprotective. If you're like, hey, are you eating a lot of erythritol? The patient goes, no, I'm not eating any. This should now tell us, oh, your chemistry is probably broken. PVP is broken. We need to go look at this in a different way. Calcium CTs, echocardiograms, like those type of things where I would start. I would also start doing all sorts of blood panels looking for inflammatory function. So I think this is the one I want to read you a little bit more of the positive stuff on this um, from actual research. Um, but then I'm going to read you the actual nature thing. So we can kind of go break through how, what that means. But let me read this, this one real quick. Uh, erythritol is a naturally occurring, safe, and non-nutritive sugar alcohol, which means it doesn't affect your glycemic function. Compared to other sugar alcohols, evidence from human studies indicate that it is mostly absorbed and excreted in urine unmetabolized. That's important. The fact that it's unmetabolized means it came in, did nothing, and left. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's a really big positive function as far as finding a lot in your urine. So if you put, take in 50 grams and none of it comes out, we have to wonder what are the metabolites or what are the breakdowns of that metabolized chemical? And so when this says a lot of it's coming out, means that it's not affecting us to a huge degree from a negative chemical standpoint. So minimal amounts reach the colon, therefore it is better tolerated with less undesirable gastrointestinal effect. Uh, it doesn't mess your stomach up. Uh, consumption of erythritol does not increase circulating glucose or insulin, and acute, uh, an acute clinical trial suggests it promotes uh, gut hormone release. All right. So. The number one thing we got to worry about when we're talking about diabetes, when we're talking about sugars, when we're talking about all blood vessels and things like that is not really glucose. It's really insulin. Um, so when we, when we consume something sweet, uh, we always look at what's the insulin response, what's the glycemic effect, glycemic index, what is the insulin response? This does not create any insulin response, which is why it's so beneficial for people who have insulin damage, which is another way of looking at uh, diabetes. Um, well, uh, the scientific evidence, long-term controlled clinical studies conducted in both children and adults, oh, sorry, scientific evidence demonstrating that consumption of erythritol has beneficial effects on oral health 
is strong, with long-term controlled clinical trials conducted in both children and adults. In contrast, this is this is so this is this is a big deal on actually erythritol. So they're saying on both sides. In contrast, the long-term controlled clinical trials supporting erythritol as a beneficial dietary component that can lower glucose levels, body weight, and risk factors in patients with type 2 diabetes, obesity, or metabolic syndrome are almost completely lacking. So that giant paragraph of a sentence basically says, we don't have enough research long-term to say whether or not we want to start switching over to this to diabetes or obesity or metabolic syndrome. They just said we don't have a lot of research on that. I can tell you we don't have research on that, but we have a lot of physiology that backs that up. So basically switching to a diet that doesn't bring sugar into your diet or in your body that doesn't cause insulin responses is going to fix all of the things that we just mentioned. So type 2 diabetes, obesity, metabolic syndrome, all those things are fixed by regulating or completely eliminating your sugar. And I'll go into that in detail later if you guys really want me to. But all right, so the exceptions, the exceptions to the lack of information, okay? So this is the stuff we do actually know. The exceptions are two published trials that provide evidence that consumption of erythritol lowered HbA1c. Okay, A1c is a level of long-term chronic inflammation. This is the one that we use, that people use a lot for diabetes. This is, the, this is a big, big deal. And it's lowering that. It's saying that it's less dangerful, if that's a word. It's, it's less worryful. So this is a big deal. And there's two published trials that say this. Uh, so it's not just a one-off. It goes on to say, and improved endothelial function in patients with type 2 diabetes. Again, back to the blood vessel. This is highly beneficial to the blood vessels from what the research here is showing. So again, don't quit taking this. And if you're diabetic, please, for the love of God, don't stop taking this because of what you just read. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to get research in six months that shows maybe there's an issue that with like a combination, like the erythritol is fine, but when you mix it with this other thing, it creates a problem. We'll go over that. But as of right now, the research we have is very good for getting off sugar, regardless of how you do it. And if you use erythritol, it's fine because you're off sugar and it looks like it's very beneficial to your blood vessels, not harmful. So, um, okay, uh, improved epithelial function, patient type diabetes. These results are supported by rodent studies and in vitro studies, but still need to be confirmed. They want to do more research. In long-term randomized controlled uh, trials that also investigate the effects of erythritol consumption on body weight, insulin sensitivity, and risk factors for carbon metabolic disease. Again, I told you, they're going to be happy. You're, we're all going to be happy with the results because it's going to be good. Uh, it's going to be, yes, use the erythritol, get off the sugar, and the diabetes and all these things are going to calm down. So, all right, here, there's a, well, the plausible explanation is that the plasma erythritol is a biomarker of uh, it says benign, is benign biomarker of PPP dysregulation resulting from glucose or fructose-rich diets or conditions that increase or impair glycemia, but this needs to be confirmed in clinical trials. So this goes back to, this part of the research goes back to what I said about erythritol being a biomarker because you already had the damage from PPP dysregulation. So as the system breaks down, it's kicking stuff out. Why did it break down? Too much glucose. 
too much sugar. It broke and it starts spilling these things out. That's what you're seeing. All right, so I wanna to go to the actual article that the researchers are looking at was from. So I'll read you kind of the, it's the, this is 28 pages. I swear to God, I'm not gonna read that much to you guys. It's like a page, I'm not, that's all I'm gonna do. So artificial sweeteners have been widely introduced into the food chain over the past few decades to reduce sugar and caloric intake. With a growing obesity epidemic worldwide, artificial sweeteners are increasingly common ingredients in soft drinks, processed foods, personal care products, in fact, artificial sweeteners have been detect detected in groundwater, tap water. It's all over the place. We get it. All right. Patients with metabolic diseases, including type 2 diabetes and obesity, are frequently advised that the use of artificial sweeteners in place of sugar can improve glycemic control, which is true, and help achieve weight loss, which is true. However, there is growing epidemiological evidence linking the consumption of artificial sweeteners to adverse cardiometabolic phenotypes is weight gain, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, including uh, erythrothrombic complications and cardiovascular mor uh, mortality. Okay, on this one, we need to have a little bit of chat on this one because I think we've all seen the person who gets the piece of cake and the Diet Coke. Just because you're eating more artificial sweeteners does not mean that you've decreased your sugar intake. So if you're eating trash and artificial sweeteners, okay, you're going to have artificial sweeteners in your blood and you're also going to have all the damage from everything else you eat. So that's the thing. I see this a lot in, in people who have one person in the family who's doing a keto thing and the other people are not. And so guess what? Oh, those are good cookies. Oh, those are good snacks. I'm going to eat some too, which is fine. You can do that. But if you're also eating a bunch of other trash, don't blame my stuff for the other stuff. So that's, a, that's one of those things I want to toss out right here. By the way, if you're wondering, I, I'm, I'm on the side of keto and I'm, I'm on the side of erythritology. I wanted to throw that out. I said my side, so I thought you guys got that. Anyway, uh, all right. Randomized clinical trials examining the long-term safety of consuming artificial sweeteners have not been performed. Kind of true. Even for more clearly adopted forms such as aspartame and sucralose. Yeah, those were the two we actually had the research on, and we've all said that they're terrible and you shouldn't consume them. Full disclosure, uh, I do like Diet Coke, and I do have them on a somewhat regular basis, like, I don't know, one or two a week, a little eight up. And I take stuff to balance that. We're not arguing that all of these things are good. We're saying some are good, some are bad, but let's be honest about the ones that are good and the ones that are bad. Super low aspartame, I would not tell you to consume. Uh, don't. Like, again, Diet Coke. But outside of that, I know I'm drinking bad things. So, um, Anyway, indeed, this, uh, despite the growing incorporation of artificial sweeteners in the food chain, their cardiovascular risks, risks have seldom been investigated. To a degree, that's accurate. Uh, erythritol is a four-carbon sugar alcohol, a polyol, that is commonly used as a sugar substitute. It is naturally present in low amounts in fruits and vegetables and in people, but when incorporated into processed foods, it is typically added at levels uh, a thousand times higher than the endogenous levels, which is true. For example, up to 60% of food weight in some creams or pastries are is erythritol due to the lower sweetness compared to sucrose or sugar, table sugar. The daily intake of erythritol in total U.S. population has been estimated to reach up to 30 grams per day in some participants based on the 2013-2014 National Health and Nutritional Examination Study on FDA filings. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. Because a pint of like ice cream that I love, that stuff, you it's about 30 grams, I'd say. So, yeah, I'm not going to tell you that 30 grams is a ridiculous number. 
And people are out there being like, well, they, they make them consume this ridiculous amount. That's, I, I'll buy that number. That might, yeah, that's probably a pretty solid average. Because um, not everybody who's doing keto stuff is eating a whole pint of ice cream, but that's not, I don't think that's crazy. So I'm not going to subscribe to the idea that the numbers that they're talking about consuming are wildly outside that. Cause I keep hearing people say that I, I think what you're eating is at 30 grams is pretty, that's, that could easily be an average day for a person. But again, I don't want people to get hung up on that because remember we have lots of studies that say it's really good for your heart and blood vessels. And guess what? Most people who move to a keto style diet will move from the standard American diet with way too much sugar. So guess what? Y'all have damage to your heart and your blood vessels. So a little extra erythritol probably is a good measure, not a bad measure. So anyway, upon investigate and upon ingestion, erythritol is poorly metabolized and mostly excreted in the urine. We knew that. Consequently, erythritol is characterized by uh, both a zero calorie or non-nutritive sweetener and a natural sweetener uh, because it comes from fruits and stuff, leading to its rapidly rising popularity and uh, predicated doubling in the market share within sweetener sector in the next five years. I 100% think that. Nevertheless, little is known about circulating erythritol levels and cardiometabolic risks. Early studies have implied uh, potential benefits, including reported antioxidant potential in animal models of diabetes. We talked about the rat study. Uh, and improved improvement in endothelial function after four weeks ingestion uh, of erythritol containing drink in patients with diabetes. Again, makes blood vessels better. This is in the article. This is in the article that everybody's freaking out about. So I'm, don't get, apparently people don't read everything. However, in small perspective study, plasma levels of erythritol among freshman college students were associated with incidents of nine-month central adipacy weight gain. Now, this is shocking, I'm sure, to everyone who's ever been to college, that in your freshman year, you will gain fat around the midsection. Yes, that was the only population that when they, they looked at who was consuming erythritol, who had a weight gain. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's called the freshman 15. It's a thing everyone knows about because when you go to college, you eat like trash and drink too much for the first year, and so you gain weight. I don't even know why they're trying to pound this off on the freshman 15, but okie dokie. Um, and it says it took them nine months to get fat. So that's what, one freshman college year? Anyway, in another study, erythritol levels were associated with the onset of type 2 diabetes. Again, yes, if you're starting to get diabetes and you start trying to substitute your sugars, yeah, you're going to see that in a lot of people. Like all polyols, the separation of erythritol from its structure isomer is difficult, doesn't break down easy, hindering its analysis and qualifications. A detailed examination of the relationship between erythritol and both cardiovascular disease, CBD, and erythrothrombic complications has not been reported. Guys, this, this, this research study, they don't have it. They don't have a research study that shows that erythritol caused heart attacks. They don't have it. This is, again, what it's saying in the actual document that they're all citing. It says there is no relationship. There's no complications. Nothing has been reported. Nothing's been studied or reported because it hasn't happened. Again, they saw a bunch of people who had heart problems, noticed that they had erythritol in their system, and decided that the erythritol had something to do with the heart problem, which it, it does kind of, 
And the, the reason it does kind of is because as the chemistry breaks down, your body produces erythritol and the damage, the, the chemistry that broke down caused your heart issue. But the reason that the system broke down again was because there was too much sugar in the diet. Again, biochemistry and just this simple research. So I'll finish this and we'll be done. Uh, after here, initial untargeted metabolics uh, studies suggested circulating levels of multipolyols, especially erythritol, were associated with incident three-year risk for major adverse cardiovascular events, which if you read it that way, I would agree. If you look at a patient and they have erythritol in their system and you go, hey, you eating any erythritol foods? If they go, no, I hate that stuff. Um, you need to do other studies. You need to start looking for why they're going to have their heart attack in the next four years. That was the whole point of the study that they did was what biomarkers can we find that would predict a heart attack from heart damage currently going on? So if I pull someone's blood and they've got erythritol in it, I'm going to know they've got, they're going to have problems, which is hilarious because I was not pulling it beforehand in my cardiovascular panel to detect like damage to the heart. I'm going to add it to that now because if they're not eating erythritol and we find it, we know that their chemistry is screwed up from too much sugar and we can then fix it. So there is benefit that's come from this, at least for me. So that's what they're saying. They, they looked at the relationship between plasma levels of erythritol and instance of MACE, which is myocardial heart problems, uh, in European uh, cohorts. So this wasn't even an American study, which doesn't really matter. But that's, that's basically what we're looking at. This is not something to freak out about. This is not something to quit quit consuming erythritol on, especially now. We have no, the, the only research we have on erythritol and heart and cardiovascular function is that we should be consuming more of it, not less. That's the actual research we have. So take it for what it's worth, but that's what's going on. And the reason I'm starting to get pissy about this is because this is in all of the keto foods. If you were trying to find a way to damage everybody's health, am I taking away all of the little snacky things they could have while they're in ketosis? This would be the biggest damage you could do to those people's health, 100%. And anybody who's ready, any of this stuff on keto understands that for the vast majority of people, I would say 40 to 50% of the population of the United States should only be on keto diets. There's some who shouldn't be on keto diets. They're probably 20% of the, of the ectomorph side. But everybody throughout the 60% throughout the, the of the population could do it. Maybe 65 would be healthy on it. But there's at least 40% of the population who 100% should be 100% keto all the time. That's why this is a big problem. If you start taking the erythritol out of things because we had an emotional, oh my gosh, we're going we're gonna to damage people's hearts. So we've got to keep the erythritol in circulation. We've got to make sure we can still have access to it because if you don't want to eat it, that's fine. Don't eat it. But for those of us who are on keto diets, who want something sweet here and there, this is a really big deal. We need to leave this in. It's going to be very cardioprotective. It's going to help repair the damage from the years of not being on keto and eating too much sugar. So this is good. This is not causing heart attacks. It is not causing stroke. So, all right, if you stay with us all time, that's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, so guys, don't worry about that. This has been Dr. Chalmers, and our goal is to get as much accurate health and wellness information out as possible. Please subscribe and share so we can help even more people. Stay healthy and stay safe. You can find us on all social media at Dr. Chalmers One and Dr. Chalmers Substack. 